This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888 99CHART, 888 99CHART, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to our edition of Invest Talk. And as always, our aim is to provide you with some straight answers and some information and perspective that will help you make better investment decisions. And we're working along with you to help you secure your financial independence. And that's what this is all about, right? That's what retirement is. It's financial independence. And that means different things for different people. But in the end, the end, uh, the means to that end is always making smart financial decisions, whether that's saving or investing, okay? And that's our main mission here on the program each and every day. And as well as in our professional portfolio management practice, right? Being financial advisors is we're trying to help our clients make better decisions. And we help them uh, by giving them direct advice as well as managing particular portfolios. But maybe the most valuable truth we can pass along is there are no shortcuts. This is something, this isn't a get-rich-quick scheme. You're, you're not going to uh, retire in a month or two months if you don't have much money, right? This isn't the cryptocurrency space, which, you know, I'm sure a lot of people uh, made decent money on that, but very few select people. And there's probably a lot of FOMO out there, fear of missing out on that space as well. But when it comes to investing, real investing, it, it comes down to risk versus reward. Uh, it comes down to research. It comes down to understanding pros and cons of everything that you're looking at, right? Because every investment has its risks and rewards. And it's important to stay focused and uh, have your attention to what matters and practice discipline in order to succeed. And that's really, I think the toughest part is the discipline. There's so much noise out there from TV and internet and friends and family. There's a lot of hype, uh, especially in certain areas of the market. You talk about cryptocurrency, you talk about uh, technology stocks in in a lot of ways. There's one particular car company in California uh, that we could talk about if anybody wants to call in and discuss uh, that certainly has a lot of that hype around it with not a lot of substance. Uh, And, uh, you know, our job is to help you decipher what the substance is. And that's what I've learned over the years is substance wins out in the end. Not stories, not excitement, not emotions, but substance, earnings, cash flows, dividends, real businesses, real investments. So that's what we are here to help you with, is to give you some perspective and at least put you in the right frame of mind, I think is the most important thing. You always want to have the right frame of mind so that you're, it's not what you're thinking, it's how you're thinking. 
So I, I hope that gives you some perspective of what we talk about each and every day on Invest Talk. And ultimately, I want to hear from you. I want to answer your questions. So we can get to uh, our, our number one job. It's answering those things that are on your mind and answering our questions, whether live, 4 to 5 Pacific time, or on our 24-hour listener line at 888 chart That's how to reach us anytime. Hey, Steve or Justin. This is uh, John from Michigan. I wanted to call and get your, some feedback on the metric EV to EBITDA, the enterprise value to EBITDA. I've been looking at some of the companies trying to find value right now with the volatility has been a lot easier. And some companies that I bought recently all range in that seven, low sevens to high sevens, like AT&T, Verizon, Southwest Airlines, L Brand, CVS. All of those right now are in that low sevens to high sevens on the EV to EBITDA. It seems like that is a really good metric for value. I don't hear anybody talk about it or pay much attention to it. Maybe you could talk about the benefits of looking at that and how good of a value indicator it is, you know, obviously looking at the big picture at the other metrics, but it really seems to indicate value to me. Look forward to your answer. Thanks. Uh, I like the question. Love the question. That's actually my favorite valuation metric. And what he's talking about is <clears throat> enterprise value. It's a ratio between enterprise value uh, and EBITDA. And what enterprise value is, is a lot of people think that the market cap of a company is its value, right? And a more accurate measurement, I think, is enterprise value, and that adds in net debt, right? So if a company is worth its market cap, and market cap is its number of shares outstanding times the current price, right? So say uh, it's trading for a billion dollars. And you're looking at earnings per share in relation to that market cap, earnings per share or, or, or revenues in relation to that market cap. But if they have, say, $500 million in cash on their balance sheet, that's real value. That's obvious, tangible value. Okay, And so that $500 million in cash would be subtracted from that market cap, and the enterprise value would be $500 million, right? The difference. Whereas, say they had a billion dollar market cap, but they also had a billion dollars in debt. That's a very different company. Those are two very different companies, right? Where half of its value is in cash, and another company with the same market cap has a billion dollars in debt. Okay, so its enterprise value would be two billion. And so, if you wanted to say take over the company, right, buy everything and pay off all its debts, it'd be a lot more value to buy the one with a bunch of cash a lot easier than it will be to the one that has a lot of debt in its balance sheet. Now obviously those are two extreme examples, but that shows you what enterprise value means. It's, it's uh, market cap plus net debt. And then EBITDA is earnings before interest, tax, depreciation, and amortization. And so <clears throat> the reason I like that figure is because uh, tax rates change, tax rates change uh, depreciation uh, changes, amortization changes, and interest changes if you pay off all its debts, right? So EBITDA is its cash flow uh, from just its its operations. Uh, now certainly uh, it's not the perfect metric, but it, it strips out a lot of those non-cash items or items that if you just took over the whole company you can pay off the debt, uh, you'll, you'll know what the cash flow is. And so it's a kind of a cleaner figure. And so that's why I like both of those 
and, and using those as a metric and, and a ratio really tells me I do think that is one of the better valuation ratio metrics that are out there uh, and that's one that we lean on and if it's you know you're buying at seven times enterprise valued EBITDA that's a pretty good ratio you know a lot of tech companies are trading at the hundreds uh, enterprise valued EBITDA so anything under 10 gets me interested anything under 12 you know is reasonable uh, and obviously the lower you go uh, the cheaper the valuation is so I like that call uh, getting a little into the weeds there but it's something that uh, I think everybody should be aware of and understand when they're trying to find good values out there in the marketplace now, have you attended one of our wealth webinars? These are one-hour online educational events that cover a wide range of investing and financial and economic topics. We can talk about uh, stock picking as well as uh, economic figures. Uh, there's a lot of different topics that we broach. Uh, and there's never a cost. We always allow time for questions during the hour. We might even go an hour and a half this time. Uh, it's coming up at the end of this month, and we're presenting one uh, I hope you'll sign up for it, take your investing skills to the next level using fundamental and technical analysis. You know, long-term investors rely on fundamental analysis, right? earnings, the, the, the strength of the company, and these tools let you look under the hood, see the company's management structure, the, 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 how, the strength of their business, revenues, income, growth rates, etc. So the goal is to determine if a company is a good value and if it's just a good company over, overall. Because ultimately that's what you want. You want strong companies. But you also want them at good values. So we're going to dig into earnings per share, P ratios maybe, enterprise value to EBITDA, dividend yield. Understanding how to read these will make it easier for you to compare two companies. Now, you also really can't pick stocks without fundamental analysis, but you also have to look at technical analysis, price trends. Now, as Steve explained on Friday, technical analysis doesn't tell you whether or not to buy a stock, but it can tell you when to buy it. Now, we don't promise in an hour you're going to be a master, but at least we'll get you familiar with what to look at, what to consider, what to do more homework on. And once again, give you a foundation for how to think. Because that's always most important. It's always, you know, you lead a, a, you can give a man a fish, feed him for a day, teach him how to fish, he can eat for a lifetime, right? So that's what we try to do during this hour, is try to teach you as much as we can in that hour, maybe hour and a half. And help you understand how to use two of the most powerful analysis tools that investors have technical and fundamental analysis. The webinar is May 30th, end of the month, at 6 30 p.m. Pacific time. It's free, but you do need to register. To do that, just go to investtalk.com, click on the Invest Talk tab. Now, this is Invest Talk. I'm financial advisor Justin Klein. I talked earlier about the discipline factor when it comes to making good financial decisions, and Warren Buffett puts it directly as only he can. We don't have to be smarter than the rest. We have to be more disciplined than the rest. Do you have any questions that you need to answer? I'll do my best. If you give us a call, 888-99-CHART is how to reach us right now.
Encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888-99-CHART, 888-99-CHART, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. Let's talk to Santa in uh, San Diego. How are you doing, Santa? Fine, thank you. How are you? Good. Thanks for calling. I appreciate it. My pleasure, but uh, thank you for having me on your show. But I wanted uh, to ask you about uh, children. Let's say I have my 18-year-old daughter. She's very ambitious, and she saved some money and all that. And we went to open an account at the bank, and I wanted to see what your opinion is on, like, to make the best. I know it's very little uh, interest or little profit they can make out of their little income, but just the beginning, what would be the best route to take? Okay, well, she's so young. Did mm-hmm. she have any earnings last year or this year? Did she work? Uh, this year. Okay, yes. so uh, are you going to open up an yeah. IRA for her? Is that what you were thinking? Uh, well, I don't know, to be honest. We just opened a little uh, okay. checking account in okay. the bank and applied for a credit card. Okay, so uh, the money that you put in the market, Sana, is money that you don't plan on really touching for a long time. So don't. So if she's doing that, then she should put it in, uh, uh, like any kind of account, a discount account, like E Trade or, or Scott Trade, those kind of accounts. Open up an account in her name, uh, and then she could buy something like um, the S and P 500, which is you can buy all 500 companies with one, one, one position called the SPY. It's an ETF, and you can buy it and just hold it. And she can ride the market in that. And you can do that with very little money and very little cost. Okay, so you do trust the Scott Trade because we have an office right next to where I work. Yes, they're SIPC okay. insured, SIPC insured, up to $500,000. So, yeah, mm-hmm. you, she will never have to worry. They're the custodian. She'll never have to worry about her money, someone trying to steal it. All right. Let me tell you who to steal money. is people that uh, manage other people's money that they do not have SIPC insured. Mm-hmm. So never, ever give your money to somebody who's not SIPC insured. SIP? SIPC. Sounds great. Thank you so much. Thanks for the she call, Sana. Thank you All very right, much. All right, have a good day. You're listening to Invest Talk. If you have a question, I want to hear from you. Give me a call right now at 888 Listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments though, 888 99CHART, 888 99CHART, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. Factor investing, that's what we're talking about today, and this is a popular term, a newly popular term uh, in the investing world, uh, especially with the advent of ETFs. Uh, there's a lot of fun families out there that are trying to rightfully improve on the idea of just indexing. Uh, and I've talked multiple times about over-indexing. And what factor investing is trying to do is create a strategy that helps choose securities based on certain attributes that historically are associated with higher returns. You know, and, th- and this is uh, this is simply uh, has to do with past performance. And to me, this is just active investing, uh, and it's doing it in a kind of a systematic way, right? Uh, so there's high dividend 
uh, ETFs out there that are only investing in, say, the 100 highest yielding stocks within the S&P. Okay? And so it's using dividend yield as the factor to choosing a particular investment. Okay? So, and, and there's different uh, ways to uh, decide what to put in a portfolio. Could be macroeconomic factors. It could be style factors. So uh, macroeconomic factor could be credit. Could be inflation. It could be liquidity. Uh, a style factor would be value versus growth or momentum is one factor to consider. Uh, so it's really designed to enhance returns and manage manage risk is the idea of it. Right is to not just improve returns, but hopefully risk-adjusted returns. And there are different foundations of factor investing. Like I said, one could be value, and that could be aiming for all the stocks that trade under a certain uh, P multiple, or a certain book value, or once again, have high dividends or cash flows, right? So there's that. So there's the value side of the marketplace. That's a factor. There's also size. It could be uh, small cap stocks. Uh, typically, long term, have higher returns than larger cap stocks because they have more room to grow, right? But they also tend to be more volatile. So simply smaller stocks can have larger returns long term. And there's momentum, and this is what stocks outperformed over the past X time period. It could be one year, three months, to three years, whatever that is. And each ETF can have its own criteria. Then there's quality. You know, low debt companies, uh, companies with strong growth, strong corporate governance, maybe strong profitability. All of these things can indicate quality. And they, uh, the factors that they're using uh, can change between ETFs. And that's why you have to do your research. Uh, and then there's volatility. There's low volatility ETFs, right? There's a lot of those out there. So factor investing is, to me, just automated active investing. Uh, and, and these are the same factors that we talk about on the show and why we say use all of these matter, not just momentum, not just value, not just quality, it's all these things combined, and I think you can do even better. Easy way out to factor investing, but you can do even better if you do your own research. Let's go to uh, Don in San Diego. Hi, Don. Hi. How you doing? I'm doing good. I appreciate your call. The market in general, <laughs> and I know you've mentioned to callers before, you said it seems like every time you buy, the stock goes down. Yep. <laughs> Doesn't it feel <laughs> now, like that? Do we have a disadvantage as investors on the West Coast as opposed to the people that are closer to the action? They're right there in New York and can see the market moving and, and move quicker than we can? Well, you know, a, a few years ago, I would have said yes, but I don't think so. Not with the advent of electronic trading. Not anymore. You can see as much as they see if you have level two NASDAQ level two trading platform, you get to see every trade as it appears to the same people on the floor in the New York Stock Exchange as the people on NASDAQ. You can see it just like they do. So no, I don't think they have the advantage anymore. Okay. I think they did. Is there any way that the large investors, the hedge funds, can move markets? Oh, yes. Without, and without you, you've just 
getting caught up you like you have a great stock now don that's a very good question and the answer is yes you and i even me with some money to manage i am subject to the big boys the mutual funds the pension if they decide to get out of a stock is still very good and solid like a Symantec, then they're going to drive that price down because they sell so much shares at one time because they have so much money. So yes, they'll push you around. As a matter of fact, I'll say this. The institutional money is the money that pushes prices up and down. The rest of us are just going along for the ride. Okay. Just make sure you understand that. And when they start to sell, it's going to affect you and you have to make a decision. Are you going to fight this and fight the storm, just <laughs> hold on through it, or are you going to get out before the storm comes? Is there any one uh, a service? To know you? who's selling and whether their institutions are selling? Uh-huh. No, because they try to hide their selling. That's what I understand. Yeah, they spread it around the different brokerage. They, it's hard for them to hide because they're so big, and you see big blocks of trades happening. You know somebody is doing it, but you don't know who, and you don't know how much. Okay, okay. Well, thank, I appreciate the call. Thank you very much. Thank you. This is Invest Talk. We're not only open to your questions, we depend, we depend on it. Depend on it to help us make sure we're providing the right information that you need. So give us a call. 888 chart is how to get through right now to Invest Talk. Our podcast continues, but first, a reminder about our upcoming webinar. Invest Talk host Steve Peasley says, Without using fundamental and technical analysis, you're wearing a blindfold. With it, you have a valuable tool. You can look under the hood. Revenues, income. See the company's management structure, the strength of their business. Learn to transform technical data and pricing trends into an actionable trading strategy. Technical analysis doesn't tell you whether or not to buy a stock but it can tell you when to buy. Fundamental and technical analysis. Now, we don't promise in an hour you're going to be a master, but at least we'll get you familiar with what to look at, what to consider, what to do more homework on. Using fundamental and technical analysis to take your investing to the next level. And help you understand how to use two of the most powerful analysis tools that investors have. Register now on investtalk.com. That's investtalk with two Ts, investtalk.com and click on the Invest Talk tab. You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888-99-CHART, 888-99-CHART, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. Okay, remember, we love beginner questions, so we welcome your question at 888-99-CHART. Now, what is the question? Love your show, new Thanks. listener and new investor. Great. I had a question. I wanted to know, when do you know when to sell your mutual fund? Aha. Okay, you got a little pen that you can write some of this yes. down? Yes, yes, I do. Or you can listen to the show later on our archives. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> okay. Uh, one rule. One rule we like is when they change managers, that's one reason to sell. Okay. Another reason to sell is when they stop doing the things they were doing. In other words, let's say they're a small cap value fund, and the fund is not buying small cap stocks. They're starting to buy mid cap stocks. Why are they doing that? 
Watch the amount of money under management. When that changes dramatically, consider getting out. Is that um, also with uh, global funds also? Yes, it is. What happens, Joe, is when these mutual funds, they're successful and they have, let's say, a half, a $500 million under management and they're doing really, really well, they attract a lot of money in a short period of time, it really affects their performance going forward. They can't do what they do. That's why it's the best ones will close uh-huh. and not take more money. I see. All right. Thank you very Thanks, much. Thanks, Joe. Appreciate, Appreciate the call. It. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. A quick reminder, if there's a term that you hear mentioned on the program, but you're unclear about what it means or you have a question about it, we want you to ask. It's very likely that you're not the only one with that same question. 888-99-CHART. Let's go to Anthony in Hayward. How you doing, Anthony? Good. Hi, Justin. Um, I have a question about 529. Uh, I have one for my daughter. Okay. She's about four years away from college. Um, now, I do have about a quarter of my portfolio not not invested in uh, stocks or uh, bonds. So I was wondering mm-hmm. how, what you know, if you have any suggestion as to where I could uh, put them. And I think probably the most simplest way to put this maybe is um, the uh, investments that they provide. is uh, It's all Vanguard. And I guess the group of choice is uh, should I focus on value or middle small cap or more of the growth side? Or as the fourth option, start looking at some of these more conservative portfolios that they have where they have bonds mixed in. I would go with the latter. Uh, you know, you said she's how, how many years away from college? About four years. Yeah. So you're starting to get into that, that area where you want to be preserving capital uh, more than you want to be risking capital, especially this late in the cycle. Uh, and... You know, it, it, by the, t- the odds are between now and the time she goes to college, we'll have some sort of a, a bear market, and we'll have some sort of a recession between now and you know four years from now. So, you are you know especially with the Fed tightening and you know the the economy still kind of uh, muddling along, and I, I think this is a good time to be more conservative. So I would use. Um, short intermediate term uh, bond funds uh, maybe if they have a conservative fund available out there i, I would go with that and and try to especially with that 25 percent portfolio because theoretically you're going to be using 25 percent of that for her first year of college correct yes yes and it's and you know the other 75 is mainly in uh stocks uh mainly in uh, you know the bank mm-hmm. or index funds um uh, mm-hmm. And actually, value and mid cap is in the mix. So, um, mm-hmm. I guess having the twenty five, I guess that would make more sense to have the twenty five be in something more uh, conservative. Um, now, would you say something it's, more like a seventy five percent bond uh, mixed in with a twenty five percent stock, kind of a balanced portfolio? Or really focused yeah, more on the yeah. Bond I would side. I would start moving I would start moving to like a fifty fifty stock and bond portfolio. Um, you know that's yeah. uh, that's because I the way I look at it is similar to somebody approaching retirement, right? 
uh, somebody approaching retirement, they're going to start needing this money. And while they want it to grow, they also want a portion of it to be conservative and stable, no matter what the, the overall market does. So what you, do, what you want to make sure you also don't do is don't go into high yield bonds. Make sure they're either government bonds, high-grade corporate bonds, things like that, that are going to remain uh, relatively stable uh, no matter what the economy does. So uh, make sure you, you, you avoid the high-yield market as well. Now, they have something like an international bond index fund, you know, albeit just 10%. Do you've, uh, is that t- mm-hmm. Does that tend to be more on the riskier side in the bond uh, 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 well, you're thing. adding another layer. You're adding another layer of risk of currency risk. So, mm-hmm. if the dollar appreciates and other currencies depreciate that it's invested in, uh, that's going to be a drag on performance. Uh, it depends on what that is invested in. Is it an emerging market debt? Is this uh, European debt? Uh, how spread? spread out and diversified is the portfolio. So uh, is, should it be an option? I actually don't think it's a bad option to include that in part of the bond uh, allocation, but I definitely wouldn't put all of it in there. Right. Okay, well, it sounds like I got some homework to do, but uh, thank you so much. Appreciate it. No problem, Anthony. Thanks for the call. 888 chart 888 is how you get through and ask your question. We have about 15 minutes left in the show, so if you're going to call, do it sooner rather than later. Let's talk a, a little bit about, hmm, let's talk about inflation. And I think this is pretty interesting, considering the talk of inflation is heating up, right? You're seeing the value uh, or the, the price of a lot of commodities, not just oil, but copper and uh, uh, aluminum. Uh, gold is even relatively strong, uh, definitely up more than the overall equity indexes for the year. Uh, and you're starting to see inflation pick up. All the inflation measurements are starting to pick up. And what's, what's more interesting is recent signs of cost pressures on companies. And this comes from uh, this comes from the earnings calls that are coming out for the first quarter and discussions about the cost of freight is rising. Think of oil, right? Uh, and and the cost of the input cost of a lot of goods and a lot of consumer goods. Uh, Treehouse Foods is one example. There's a, it's a two billion dollar company but they have $6 billion a year in overall revenue. Now, the stock's been down a lot because of uh, the industry as a whole. Consumer staples has not done uh, very well recently. But a lot of that has to do with the pressures from these higher freight costs, higher commodity costs, higher input costs. And now they're talking about pushing these costs through to consumers. And typically, they have uh, a good track record of being able to do that because these are what well, while well, you know the, the the cost of one bag of cookies might go up uh, if the input costs for all those cookie makers are going up the odds are you're not going to skip out on cookies you're just going to pay up a little bit more right uh, and that goes for a lot of basic uh, goods cheese and meats and and dairy and produce etc all these costs are going higher Part of that has to do with a weaker dollar, uh, and part of that has to do with higher commodity prices. 
Uh, and this is going to and start going to start. You're going to show up in the grocery store first. Uh, and what that ultimately is going to do is crimp the consumer a little bit. Right? They're going to be constrained a little bit more when it comes to spending, and discretionary spending is likely going to actually be hurt more than consumer staple spending. Right? Uh, people still need to eat. And a lot of these costs are coming through to your food. And you'll be seeing that very, very soon if you aren't already. Uh, and what, like I said, sometimes that's not just input costs of the actual food, but it's getting the food to your store. So be aware of that, that inflation is picking up. And this is not a good thing. And this is not just anecdotal. This is companies actually saying they're passing along these costs to consumers. And this isn't a good thing, not only for the Fed, who's now kind of hit the inflation target, and they're looking to tighten policy because of it. And bond prices hate inflation. Just It's not just the Fed raising rates, but it's also inflation. Inflation is the enemy of the bond market, and they don't like to see that. Now, many investors love to ride the trend of a stock, but they sometimes ride too long and end up getting out with little or no profit, or maybe a loss, because they they fall in love with the stock, right? You buy a stock, it goes up 20%, you love it, it's making you all this money. And then it starts going down, you say, oh, it'll be fine, and then it ends up a loss, right? And part of that is chart reading and going back to having discipline. So we're going to talk about this and many other topics as well on our free Invest Talk Wealth webinar. It's coming up May 30th at 6.30 p.m. Pacific time. It is free and all you have to do is sign up and join us on May 30th online. You can register right now on investtalk.com. Click on the Invest Talk tab. Do you need help with your 401k? Active 401k from KPP Financial helps you make the best possible choices from your employer's plan. Active 401k gives you the guidance and then you make the changes. Active 401k keeps it current too. If you'd like to know more about it and how it works, just go to investtalk.com, click on the Investments Programs tab, then Active 401k. Let's go to Mike in San Jose. How you doing, Mike? Doing well. How are you? Good. Thanks for calling. I have a uh, 401k from a former employer that I'm in the process of rolling over to an IRA okay. with my current broker. However, my, my broker won't do anything but give me uh, basically how's the rollover IRA, as I'm sure is normal. My question is, what do I do with the funds? I have no clue on how to pick the right mutual funds or if, you know, what kind of distribution of the funds I should be looking at as far as uh, diversity. How old are you, Mike? Uh, mid-30s. Mid-30s. Okay, so being young, you want to kind of be aggressive. I know it's been very frightening being aggressive the last 10 years, but still, you got lots and lots of years. What to actually pick? If you don't know how to pick individual stocks, Mike, I probably would stick with ETFs, exchange-traded funds. And I probably, if I were you, i put maybe 15% uh, of that money in foreign ETFs. You know, they have some, maybe not in Europe. I don't suggest Europe, but maybe Asia, different parts of Asia. 
They have EWA, which is Australia. EWT is Taiwan. FXI is China. EWS is Singapore. EWH is Hong Kong. You know, you could put a little bit in each one of those. You know, and that okay. would be your foreign exposure. Then for your domestic exposure, you know, you probably would want to do QQQQ with his NASDAQ 100, which is kind of tech. So put some there. And I, I would just go to the ETS and buy a, a number of index funds and maybe uh, some specialty medical, a uh, little bit, especially medical specialty energy and maybe specialty tech, those three areas. Okay, so international index funds, technology index funds, and, uh, I would put some in the S&P 500 you know, for a broad-based uh, market and buy a little bit on dips. Don't put it all to work at one time. Just kind of step into it. As, and as the market goes down, if it goes down, you want to buy more, not less. Okay, thank you for your time. Thanks, Mike. 888-99-CHARTER is our number, 888-992-4278. Paul in Point Richmond, how you doing, Paul? Very good, thank you. Um, I'm approaching retirement, okay. and I'm pretty well diversified, but I have $100,000. I'm afraid to really risk market right now. I'm in a money market. It's okay. at 3%. Okay. I'm thinking I'll just, I don't know where else to go. I'm afraid of REITs. I'm afraid of the high yield market. I just think I may leave it sit there until, say, bonds go higher in terms of yield and then invest in a bond. Can I give you a, a better way to go without taking any risk? Yeah. Okay. Now, I don't know if you heard me talk about laddering before. Yes. Okay, how about taking that $100,000 and divide it up into maybe, let's say, 10 parts, $10,000 each. Okay. You could do CDs or you can do treasuries. Mm-hmm. Okay, and what you do is you go out like six months. Well, when do you think interest rates will go up? Maybe three months? Yeah. Okay, first one due in three months. Go out three months. The next one, six months. The next one, nine months. The next one, one year. Then two years, three years, four years. What you do is you keep laddering them out to the longer, so you keep going out far, okay? Mm-hmm. Maybe go out only maybe three to four years, okay? okay? So now, as interest rates rise, the first 10,000 comes due, you go out for like three years. And that'll give you the highest rate for three years, right? Right. Then the next one, now six months later, you're going to go out another three years. So three years and three months, the second one will come to you. You see how I'm doing that? Uh-huh. What this does is called a ladder. If interest rates rise, you're getting more and more return. And over the long haul, if interest rates continue to rise, you will make more money. And it's very safe. Okay. You can do it that way. You know, if you lock up a CD for a year or two years mm-hmm. and interest rates go up in between, you're not really maximizing your gain. You are maximizing your security, you know, if you're safe. Yeah. But the latter idea is not that hard, really. When it comes up for renewal, you just got to tell the bank, you can do it by phone or whatever. They'll do it automatically over the phone. Tell them what you want. What portion of that should I have available to pay tax on that income? Well, what you do is you make sure that you have one come due a little bit before April 15th. Okay. Yep. <laughs> that way, you know, it, okay, yeah, well, here's $10,000. Okay. Well, how much do I need to pay taxes? All right. Paul, that's a good question. Thank you. Thanks for the call. Thanks very much. Now we have time for your call as we move into the last segment of the hour. You can check in now. We have about seven minutes left. You can give us a call at 888-99-CHART. Join in on the discussion. (music) 
You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888-99-CHART, 888-99-CHART, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. Give us a call. Now, there are four factors that are contributing to people working longer, and this is according to a research paper from a professor at the Wesley College in Wesley, Massachusetts that was uh, recently distributed by the National Bureau of Economic Research. And there's four reasons. One is education. And people who have more education tend to retire later in life. Now, one of the reasons is because they tend to be working less strenuous jobs, right? Uh, more desk jobs. And so their their bodies don't wear out as fast as, or their, their, their minds don't wear out as fast as many other uh, people's jobs uh, or bodies wear out when they're doing physical labor, right? Um, so if you earn higher degrees, you tend to work longer. And part of that also could be the fact that you're earning more, so the incentive to work longer tends to be better. Also, women are more involved in the workplace, and the research suggests that spouses tend to retire around the same time. So now, you know, it used to be where men just worked and worked and where they feel like retiring and their spouse was uh, many times staying at home and they just retired. Whereas now both uh, husband and wife tend to be working and they plan their retirement together. So if one's not ready to retire, then the other one kind of just keeps working. All right. So that's interesting. Another is shift to 401ks. Uh, it used to be where uh, you had a, a pension plan and you worked up until the retirement date of that pension plan and then working beyond that didn't really add to your pension benefit. And so there wasn't a lot of in, there was a lot less incentive to continue to work past your retirement date besides just making money, right? Which your pension pretty much covered that. So now in a 401k, it's up to them. And there's no age specific. The more you work, the more you're willing, you're able to save in a 401k, and that can go on for a long, long time. So there's a lot of incentive to continue to work. Then is Social Security reform. Retirement age used to be at 62. Now it's 66. And it's going to continue to go up. Okay. So it's uh, uh, that's, that's a lot of reason. And then... Lastly, it's, it staves off loneliness. People are happier the longer they work. They feel more connected to uh, socially and, 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 and feel like they have more self-worth. And so a lot of people just don't want to be bored. They want to continue to do things uh, that make them happy. And a lot of times, if you like your job, working can be one of those. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. And we're going to go talk to Noel in San Francisco. How are you doing, Noel? I'm doing good. I wanted to see what you thought of I-bonds. I'm looking at a lot of different uh, investment opportunities, but I thought I'd, uh, that'd be a conservative spot, and I kind of expect uh, inflation to kick up its heels uh, in, in the future. I don't see how it couldn't. But I like I-bonds, Noel, for your conservative money. I think that's a lot better place than money market. You're going to make a lot more money there, and yeah. it would always to keep up with inflation, which is, you can't say that about a CD. Yeah, it's beautiful, I think. Yeah, I, I think it's a pretty good place to put some money that you want to protect. You don't want to take too much risk with it. I-bonds, everybody's inflation-protected bonds or U.S. government, treasury. And what happens, they have two parts to them. One part of the, the yield you get is fixed. 
Okay, and so they add those two together, those two parts, inflation and base. And they add those two together. And every six months, the inflation part gets reset based on the CPI, the Consumer Price Index. So if inflation goes up, your yield goes up. If inflation goes down, your yield goes down. Uh, I'll tell you this, Noel. I think inflation is going to be a problem. The only way I see it becoming a problem, really, is if jobs start to get created. So yeah. inflation is going to be kind of tame. On the other side of the coin, you've got the commodity part. And I think we're going to see inflation in commodities even with, even without the job creation because mm -hmm. the demand worldwide on the commodities yes. are going to push prices up. Yes. But inflation really can't get a hold until we see some job creation. Therefore, I don't think it's going to fall at all, that inflation part of that I right. want. I agree. I, I think it can only go up. I don't think it can fall. Okay, I, thanks. I, I think it's a great place. Noel, you got yeah. my permission. I think it's great. Okay, thank you. Thanks, thanks, Noel. Time to end the hour. Reminder, Steve will be in San Jose, California, for individual retirement reviews coming up next month on June 6th. To reserve your hour now, just go to investtalk.com. I'm financial advisor Justin Klein, Steve Peasley, and I thank you for making us a part of your day. Let's meet here again tomorrow. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, Call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is President and Justin Klein Chief Executive Officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. And they thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions on our 24-hour listening line at 888-99-CHART.